Appreciate it, Rod. How are you doing? Good, good. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to start us off by me not talking. So turn to the videos and watch this. because we have good things, of course we have bad things. There's no wrong answers, but I do think the monsters one is maybe my favorite. Uh, that was kind of funny, especially the vocal. Anyway, uh, I won't go down that path. Uh, as people interviewed in this clip showed, we have a wide range of beliefs when it comes to this idea of Satan, the devil, the evil, all of that sort of thing. Uh, some people believe that bad things happen. Well, all of us believe that bad things happen. I think we can understand that. But some people think, you know, that some bad people, some people do bad things to other people or that some people are like intrinsically bad. Uh, if you're going to take it another step a little bit further. Uh, but to believe in a supernatural being who can influence us to do negative things. Yeah. To most people, I think it just seems a little bit too much like that cartoon with an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other, like whispering into your ear. It just seems a little too much like a fantasy. Most people just kind of shake their head at that notion. Fortunately for us as followers of Jesus, we have to believe it because uh, the Bible tells us that it's real. As Tim Keller says, the authors of the Bible treat Satan as a reality, not a myth. Often to us, Satan is a personification of evil left over from a pre-scientific superstitious society, an ironic way to deflect personal responsibility for evil. But if you believe in God in a good, personal, supernatural being, it is perfectly reasonable to believe that there are evil, supernatural beings. So like Keller said, the Bible tells us very, very firmly over and over again that this is real. We believe in God. We do believe in a good supernatural being, and there is an opposite side to this. And what we're told in the Old Testament is a little bit of an origin story for Satan, but a very sad and destructive origin story at that. And we're told about him in different places throughout the Old Testament. One of them is Ezekiel 28 where God tells us that Satan was actually an angel in God's presence. He says, I ordained and, or and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all that you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. You sinned. 
So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. In other places, we're told uh, more about, about what Satan's greatest desire and that it was simply that he wanted to be God. He, it wasn't enough to worship the one who had created him, the one that he knew was, was real. There was no doubt in his mind on that reality. He wanted to be him. He wanted not just to be like him, but to actually attain to be him. And so he was thrown out of God's presence forever. And unfortunately, that wasn't the end of the story. His influence has only grown since that time. We see him first in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when he has a conversation with Eve. And I'm not going to tell you what form he was in because you might look at me even a little bit more strange. Uh, but he has a conversation with Eve and tries to get her to, uh, to, to go along with what he's throwing out there. He tries to get her to eat from this fruit at a tree that God told him not to eat from. And this is what he says. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Satan's first encounter with humanity was to try and get us to do the exact same thing that he had done. He has always tried to get us to either believe that we can't be God or to replace God with something else. That's always been his MO, and it still is today. He's given a few names in the Bible, Satan, the devil, the enemy of God, the evil one, but he's the same one all throughout. The Bible's clear that he's real, that he's a powerful force, but there's good news. He's not God. He never reached that level. He's still not that powerful. C.S. Lewis writes this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil one is to disbelieve in his existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. He is equally pleased by both errors and hails a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Lewis also said it much more simply another time when he said, you can give the devil either too much or too little attention. He's real, but he doesn't have all the power don't give him credit for everything. It's not really his credit to be giving to him. But also, don't underestimate him. And most importantly, don't forget that he's not God and that Jesus came to defeat him. 1 John 3, 8 says, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And here's the good news. The end of the story, we already know it. He succeeded. He won. I want to do something this morning that might seem a little weird to you, so humor me. It's basically just so I feel like you're awake, okay? Just look at it that way. I want you to repeat something with me. Is that okay? So here's what I'm, I'll say it first, and then you repeat it with me. We know how this goes. We went to kindergarten. We understand. Okay, so here's what it is. I'll, I'll say it, then you say it with me. I know who wins. I know who wins. There we go. Thank you. Appreciate it. I feel better now. We're all awake. The reason that I want us to understand that very, very basic sentence is that I think it's the most important thing that we can understand when it comes to this entire thing. We already know the end. We know what's going to happen. We know who's going to win. It's not a question mark. 
there is a war going on, there is fighting actually happening, the enemy is actually trying to get us to do bad things, but we can place all of our trust, all of our hope in the reality that we already know who wins. Jesus does. We've already been told that. I want us to watch another story, to turn to the screens one more time. We're going to watch a story of a man from Rwanda who during the genocide faced incredible evil and then encountered the love of Jesus. So watch this. My name is Barty Emmanuel, and I participated in the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. I murdered many Tutsi under the order of bad leadership and have spent six years in prison and four years in community service. While in prison, fellow prisoners invited me to try Alpha. I went, but struggled to engage. I realized I needed to tell the truth about what I had done and wrote a letter asking for forgiveness of the relatives of those I had murdered. Life was so hard after being released from prison. I found my wife with two children that were not mine and I faced many heartbreaking situations. I didn't know how I was going to live with the genocide survivors after what I had done. My heart was filled with agony, loneliness, and fear. Encouraged by Alpha in prison, I decided to do Alpha again. I learned that Jesus forgives and experienced love in a way I had never known before. With the help of a local pastor, I went to find Vincent, whose mother and grandmother I had killed, to ask for forgiveness. I now live in a village built for genocide survivors and perpetrators. Vincent lives in the same village. We have formed a friendship, and I now experience peace like I haven't experienced it before. Day-to-day -day life continues to be a challenge, but I have found forgiveness and healing for the things that I've done. Thankfully, most of us will never have to go through something like that. We don't encounter evil in the same way that that man did. We don't have to ask forgiveness for the same types of things that he had to ask forgiveness for. But I think seeing that example just highlights the reality that there is something going on. But even when it's that extreme, Jesus still wins. Let's pray, and then we're going to read about an encounter that Jesus has with Satan. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence and we just ask for more of it to come, God. I thank you that you are already here. God, we thank you that, that we've already sung this truth, that you win, that we've sung that you're mighty to save, that you came to bring victory in our world, that you came to bring victory in our lives over evil, over injustice. And we ask for more of that, Jesus. I just pray that you will bring more and more of your kingdom, more and more of your power to the injustices in our world to the evils that we see happening around us all throughout the world, God. 
bring your power into those places, God. And I pray that today that we'll encounter the truth of the fact that, that you win, that you have already defeated the enemy, and that you want to bring that truth to our lives, to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to look at an encounter that Jesus has. It's called the temptation of Jesus. Uh, most of the time in your Bibles, that's what the heading's under. And we're going to read this. So Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing during that time and became very hungry. I love it when they add things that are like the most obvious things in the world. He ate nothing for 40 days. Yes, he's hungry. Uh, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus said to him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And he said, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it to I'll give it all to you if you'll worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. As we start off this morning, I just want to highlight something that I think we need to like, really understand. Jesus was super weak when this was happening. I think sometimes we look at Jesus and we're like, yeah, he's fighting the devil, you know, whatever. Like, we know he's stronger than, but like, he is fully human. Let's not forget that. If I don't eat for four hours, I become very angry. <laughs> 40 days? <laughs> like, there ain't no way. Like, I would disappear. It would not be happening. He's fully human. This would have been a massive struggle to his body. He would have been extremely, extremely weak. He's hungry. He's in the middle of the desert, which probably means he's not sleeping super well, right? And he can't get any food. You're in the desert. There isn't a price chopper. There isn't a Roche Brothers. There's not even a stop and shop for when you're desperate. <laughs> There's nothing. Sorry if you're a stop and shop fan. Uh, but there's nothing around. He has no options. He is weak. He's tired. He's not in a good space. Sometimes I think we read these encounters and we're like, yes, this shows me what I have to do so that I could be as strong as Jesus and defeat the devil and blah, 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 blah. You know what this actually tells us? At his weakest, Jesus is infinitely stronger than anything the devil could throw at him. At his very lowest point, he's stronger. Think about that for a second. It's not at his strongest he's stronger. At his weakest, 
the devil can't even phase him. Not even a little bit. Can't even tempt him. He's not just God. He's human as well. And his body was struggling. And yet, the devil couldn't stop him. Stanley Hauerwas says that the devil can only be a parasite, only as strong as the one that he tempts. Jesus defeated the devil because even at his lowest point, he is way too much for the enemy to be able to deal with. Of course, that's not true for you and me. I realize that. But as we're going to talk about today, we're connected in to the one who is infinitely more than anything that could be thrown at us. That is our reality. We don't have to look at it like we're much lower than the enemy. With Jesus, we've been given so much more. Tim Keller says that temptation isn't impersonal. There is an actual enemy doing the tempting. You know, I think also sometimes, and maybe it's just me, but I think of the devil as kind of being like uh, playing the computer in a video game. Can I say that still? Or is that like aging myself way beyond what I actually am? I'm 34, but I feel like when I say playing the computer, it sounds super old. Uh, we don't play the computer anymore, Stephen. Anyway, uh, but I feel like it's like that. There's an algorithm, and he levels up when we level up. And then it just keeps going, you know, until we finally reach the point when we've played for hours and hours and hours, and we can actually beat him. But he's, he's real. He's, he's uh, not impersonal. He's personal. I don't want to say he's a, a person because he's different, but you get what I'm saying. He changes his attack. He changes his game plan. He's not just one-upping every time that he gets a little bit, that we get a little bit better. He picks the temptations that he brings at us on purpose. He's adjusting his game plan to come at us the same way that he adjusted his game plan to come at Jesus. So what can we learn from Jesus? Because there has to be tools that can help us to be able to see victory over him. How can we utilize the tools that Jesus gives us to defeat a very real, adjusting, personal enemy who wants to take us down? Here's the first one. Live your life filled with the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's not a coincidence that even at his weakest point that he was able to see victory at this point because he was connected in. He had his priorities straight. His body may have been struggling, but he knew spiritually who he was connected into, his relationship with God, the Father, his relationship with the Holy Spirit as the Son. They were all moving together. There was a connection point that was pouring into him. He was being constantly filled by that relationship. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. If those two things are true of you, you don't have anything to worry about every single time. It's just that simple. If those two things are true of you, you will see victory every single time. But don't attempt to overcome the enemy on your own. Every addict will tell you that's a stupid way of doing it. The percentage of addicts who overcome without having support is super low, very low. We need others to be pouring into us. We can't do this on our own because you and I, were all addicts in different ways. Maybe not the ones that you go to groups for, 
but we're all addicts in different ways, and we need to be connected into the source if we actually want to see victory over those things in our lives. We've been given the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it alone. So stop trying. You're just making it harder on yourself. The second tool that Jesus points us to is to take God's word as truth and to let it soak into you. You know, Jesus quotes the Bible each time on purpose. I think sometimes, again, to go back to old um, video games, because I'm aging myself prematurely, uh, I think it's like Street Fighter. Like, every time you're getting in a punch, the devil has, you know, you can't hit him three times in a row. He gets a chance to come back at you. So Jesus is sitting there, and, he, and the devil throws one, and Jesus is like, block, another punch, block, another punch. And so he's just like equaling it out. It's like a debate club thing going on. But Jesus knows the debates that win at the end of the day. I don't think that's actually what is going on here. I don't think Jesus just gets the upper hand in, in verbal assault, so to speak. I think what's going on here is that Jesus is quoting the Bible on purpose because he needs to remind himself of some things. He needs to remind himself of who he is. He needs to remind himself of who God is. He needs to remind himself of the plan and the purpose that God has for him. He needs to remind himself of what God has already done. He's saying all of this so he can fill himself back up with that reality. And in the same way, when we allow the Bible to really soak into us, when we let it saturate us, when we begin to really understand the Bible, it allows us to know who God is. It allows us to know how God acts. It gives us confidence that God can actually do so much more than the enemy ever could when it soaks in. When you've seen proof of God moving through the ages, you have a better chance of actually believing that he's going to move when you need him to move. When you've seen proof of the promises that he has given to you, you have a better chance of actually believing that those promises count when you're not in a good spot. Don't underestimate the power of knowing the actual words that God has given to you. Let it soak in. Last thought from this story. Great strength comes in remaining loyal to Jesus. Verse 8. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As I mentioned earlier, Satan's downfall was due to the fact that he wanted to be God. And he thought that he could. That was his thing. And it's still his thing. His main goal in his fight against God since the very beginning is to get us to not believe that God is actually God, to get our eyes turned on to different things. 1 John 5.21 says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. The enemy will do anything it can. It will stop at nothing to get us distracted, to get us to depersonalize who God is, to get us to begin to worship something that only says and does exactly what it is that we want God to say and do, to get us to kind of change our image of God just enough that we're not actually interested in worshiping the real God anymore. We're interested in worshiping the thing that seems to give us the answers that we want to get when we want to get them. That is his objective. 
He wants us to worship something other than God, and he tricks us into it all the time. Worship the Lord and serve him only. Stay loyal to Jesus. Live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Take God's word as truth and let it saturate you. I realize that there may be some of you that are sitting here and saying, okay, Stephen, when's the real, like, the real stuff come out? Like, this is way too simple. Like, this can't be it. Like, if Satan's actually real, then you've got to have something else that you can give to me because this seems way too simple. And here's the thing. I think it's that simple on purpose. Because Jesus is infinitely more than the enemy. If you're connected into Jesus, you don't even have to mess. You know who wins. It doesn't have to be five secret tricks to be able to kick the enemy out whenever he starts to attack you. This is how simple it gets. Pray. Talk to Jesus. Ask him to come and be where you're at. Connect in with him. That's where it is. If you stay connected to Jesus, you won't be fooled by the lies of the enemy because above everything, Satan's just a liar. It's a house of cards that he's built. And one puff from Jesus really does truly knock it down. That is the reality of it. He doesn't want us to think that, but that's the truth. When you're paying attention to Jesus, it's a lot harder to do something stupid, right? So, I'll tell you one of my more embarrassing moments as a kid. You're welcome. Uh, fifth grade, basketball. I don't remember if our team was actually good, but I remember the team we were playing was really bad. And we ended up beating them 72 to 10. That's pretty good, right? You don't have to know much about basketball to know that's a good score. Uh, the other team was really bad. But it could have been an even wider, wider victory than that. So here's what happens. <laughs> I'm playing. Guy gets the inbound pass that I'm guarding. I'm on him. I steal the ball. I knock it loose. I'm dribbling that thing. I turn towards the basket. I go up. I shoot in two points. I am euphoric. I am so excited. I turn around, and I had made it in the wrong basket. <laughs> And just in case you didn't know, in basketball, there's no, like, do-overs. It counts. So in the box score, Stephen Watson was on both teams, I guess, that day. My coach and my teammates were all screaming at me the entire time. But my little fifth-grade mind, I was just so excited that I had done that sweet move that I couldn't even hear. I had just blocked everything else out. I was focused on that moment for me. I'm finally getting it, getting my time. I was just so excited. And then it all crashed and burned brutally, right? Pretty embarrassing. I can't remember what I did at that point, but I'm pretty sure I just tried to pretend like it didn't happen. I don't know, like earmuffs or something like, ah, I don't know what happened, guys. Uh, did you see my steal, though? Uh, it was bad. It was really bad. We all do really stupid things. It happens. We sin, we fall for the lies of the enemy, and we don't always do it with bad intentions. Sometimes it's just because we're not fully paying attention to Jesus. You know, can I be honest about Adam and Eve? They get a bad rep. And you might be sitting there thinking, yes, of course they do. They, they screwed it up for the rest of us. 
But we have the, the privilege of hindsight, right? Hindsight being 2020, they made a stupid decision. They don't have that. I think if Adam and Eve would have known that taking a bite of this stupid piece of fruit in the garden was going to screw it up for everybody for eternity, much less get them kicked out of the garden, their family was going to fall apart almost immediately, I don't think that they would have done it. I think they would have known enough to say, nope, I'm probably not going to bite from this. I'm not going to take a bite. I'm going to believe that you know God was actually telling the truth on it. But when we allow the lies to sink in, when we forget to connect into Jesus, when we get too focused on what we want in the moment, that's when the danger comes. It's true then. It's still true today. Because there's a war going on. There's an enemy who wants to make us look like fools. But even in those moments, those places where we forget, we could still put our eyes on other things there's still grace and there's still love for us on the other side. My team didn't uh, have much grace and love for me in that moment, but Jesus has a lot more for us when we admit the reality of it. Let's stand and the worship team come back up. Friends, we know who wins. Jesus came so that he could bring victory over evil for you and for me. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. It's not about you and I doing everything right. It's about accepting the love that Jesus wants to offer us. Evil's real. There's a war going on but we can experience victory through the love that Jesus wants to give to us today. Let's pray. Jesus, today, we just, we ask for you to help us to experience that love today. We want to know the reality of your victory in our lives right here, right now. We want to know the love that brings freedom, the love that takes away shame, we want to be connected in to you, Jesus. So I pray for each and every one of us here this morning. Help us to stay connected in. For any of us that have never uh, connected in, so to speak, that have never uh, looked at you as our lead, as the one we want to follow, I, I, I just pray this morning that you'll change that. Speak to our hearts for the first time or for the thousandth time. Help us to know the power that comes through your life, death, and resurrection. The power that you have given to us. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.